So today we are finishing our sermon series. Over the last couple of months, we have been going through our annual spiritual, similar to our annual physical, examining our eyes and our ears, our hands, our feet, our hearts, our minds, examining every part of our bodies, but through a spiritual lens. How are our bodies functioning in order to be agents of the good news, in order to be and share good news in this world? And so today, you know, we've gone through all of the parts individually, well, as many as we could get in, seven weeks. And so today, we're going to look through the whole body scan, looking at how our whole body works together and what is the whole body when we're talking about the spiritual body. Um, So we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians 12, verses 14 through 27. I want to highlight, you might have noticed if you're here in the room, that we do not always, um, well, we don't hand out paper bulletins anymore. That came out of the necessity for COVID, but then we've hung on to that. If you do want to follow along with the sermon or with the order of worship, it is available online. And so if you want to get more information about how you can access that PDF before you come in here, I encourage you to ask Bong or me before you go, and we'll make sure that you get that hooked up so that you can follow along should you so choose in the future. All right, let's get back to our scripture. Corinthians 12 verses 14 through 27. This is Paul writing to the church at Corinth, and he's speaking about individuality and community, individuality and community. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and those members of the body that we think less honorable we clothe with greater honor, and our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Friends, I invite you to join me as we ask for God's wisdom. Let's pray together. God, we cannot seek or encounter wisdom apart from you. You are the one who speaks to the heart. You are the one who educates the mind. And so we pray that in this moment that we will not be resistant, but that we will consider and examine our hearts and our minds 
that we will not be too eager to comfort ourselves and assure ourselves that we are perfect just as we are, but that we will take the risk in considering what it is in our lives and in our hearts that we can improve. We know that you love us just as we are, God, and we know that you call us equally to a higher calling. So please speak to each of us now so that corporately we might be a stronger body of Christ here in San Marino and beyond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when Andy and I were newly married about 17 years ago, we loaded absolutely everything that we owned into my 96 Mazda protege in California, and we drove all the way over to New Jersey. And after a particularly long morning, halfway through this road trip, after a particularly long morning and driving through the fields of Kansas, we saw a rare break in the corn stalks. There was a lone gas station with a subway attached and no other building in sight. So we stopped to refuel the car to grab some sandwiches for the road. When we walked into the subway, there were only three other people in the building. There was the sandwich artist and the couple that he was just finishing serving. As the couple finished ordering their sandwiches, Andy and I heard a familiar accent. The couple was English. Now, what were the chances? Here we were in the middle of a cornfield, in the middle of Kansas, five people in a small gas station, and three out of five of us were from a tiny island about 5,000 miles away across from the ocean. I looked at Andy, my husband, who's English, and I had that, can you believe it, face, to which he more subtly nodded, resumed looking at the sandwich menu on the wall. So the couple finished, they took their sandwiches, and they moved to fill their drinks from the soda machine, and now it was Andy's turn to order. And sure enough, about a third of the way through him making his sandwich order, we noticed that the couple had paused filling their cups so that they could hear him more clearly. So I kept shifting my glance between Andy and the couple, subtly as I could, which you can imagine, not that subtle of a person. It was only a matter of time now before one of them said something to each other. It was just too much of a coincidence. And the sandwich artist, who I don't think had ever heard more than three people having the same accent in a long time, was looking at me too as the only other American. He knew it was coming. So finally, Andy and I finished ordering. And with our sandwiches in hand, Andy walked right out of that subway and back to the car, and the couple left by the only other exit that was there in the building, no one exchanging a glance or a word or any acknowledgement about this strange happening. So that just left me and the sandwich artist feeling a little disappointed. I hurried back, got back to the car, and I looked at Andy once we got in, and he looked at me and he goes, what? And I said, why didn't you say anything to that couple? Don't you think that that was weird? Weren't you curious as to why they're driving in the middle of Kansas? There's only corn out here. To which he said, no, I wasn't going to say anything. And he said, I'm not American. (laughs) 
Andy then told me this story from when he worked with international students in the UK. We met when I was at university at Sussex, down on the south of London, south of England, and that university would occasionally host dinners for international students. And he told me about how each time that he was at these dinners for international students, the American students would spend the majority of their time with one another and then systematically go throughout the room trying to find some connection between them and the other person. So they would say, oh, you're from Ohio. My grandmother was born in Ohio. Or you're from Ireland. My great-great-grandfather immigrated from Ireland. Or they would say, oh, you're from Italy. Rumor has it that I'm from the House of Savoy. And they did this to try and find this connection with a stranger that they were never, ever going to see again. It always struck Andy as a little funny and maybe just a little bit obnoxious. But over the years that Andy has lived here, and yes, he gave me permission to tell this story, and yes, he's in the corner of the room, and if you corner him on it, he will say something about it later, but he'd prefer for you not to. Um, Over the years that Andy has lived here, he's become more affectionate toward the belief that many Americans have, that there is some inevitable connection existing between strangers. If only we just take the time to figure it out. It has become second only to his appreciation for the American commitment to innovation in each person's independent pursuit of the American dream. Let me explain that a little bit. Over the years, Andy and I I've had a lot of conversations about the differences between our cultures. You would think that we speak the same language. We don't. You would think that we have the same understanding, Western understanding of the world. We don't. And when one of these discussions has come on that ability to pursue a dream and what motivates us to do that. When Andy was a student in England, if he was low on money, he was taught to reduce his spending, to stay home more, and then to modify his expectations, to change the dream. And when I was a student here in California, if I was low on money, I was also taught to reduce my spending. At the same time that I was taught to go find another source of income because I wasn't to let go of that dream for anything. For Andy and me, the difference between conservation and pursuit was grounded in what we had been taught that we were capable of doing, capable of achieving as an individual. In his early days here, Andy would often comment about how Americans might not always accomplish what they set out to do, but no one could convince them otherwise. Which means that Andy's two favorite things about living with Americans, or living with me at least, that was meant to be funny, (laughs) is our commitment to establishing a meaningful connection and our commitment to independent pursuit. Those are his two favorite things about this country. Our commitment to establishing meaningful connection and our commitment to individual pursuit, which sounds like they should be at odds with one another, but really, they are a fantastic complement. And this complement between being committed to connection and being committed to individual pursuit is also what our scripture passage is about for today, not in the context of our societal life, but in the context of our faith. As Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he is speaking to a community that is absolutely crippled by imbalance. 
There are some who are showing up at communion, at the communion table, and gorging themselves at the expense of others who walk away from that table still feeling hungry. There are some in the community who are so consumed with bickering about who is right that they have neglected the priority of treating one another lovingly. And there were many in that community who were spending their time highlighting divisions, trying to create a hierarchy amongst themselves. I follow Cephas, I follow Apollo, I follow Paul. Completely neglecting the truth that all of them were first followers of Christ. So Paul is writing to a community that is riddled with this imbalance, where the individual desire of some has started to disrupt their commitment to equity within the community. Some people were convinced that their contributions were essential to the success of the community. The community wouldn't survive without them. Whereas there were others who felt like their contributions were unnecessary by comparison. Some people believed that the most important people in the community of faith was them. They wouldn't have gotten to where they were if they hadn't been part of that church. Whereas others had come to believe that no one would notice them if they had ever disappeared. Which is why Paul starts his passage today by saying this. This is an interpretation from the message. He says, I want you to think about how all your individuality makes you more significant, not less. If the ear had said, I am not beautiful like the eye, so I don't deserve a place on the head. Would you want to remove it from the body? But I also want you to think about how your individuality keeps your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. For no matter how significant you are, it is only because of what you are a part of that makes you significant. An enormous eye or a gigantic hand would not be a body, but a monster. What Paul is saying here is really simple. An eye lying disconnected from a skull, which is lying disconnected from the neck, that's grotesque. It is through our connection that significant, that we are able to move gracefully, that we are able to function at all. Our connection is what gives us life. Paul sums this up by, uh, in verse 27, by saying this, he says, you are Christ's body. That's who you are. You must never forget this. Only as you accept your part of that body, in other words, only as you accept your connection to others, does your part mean anything at all. In our communities of faith, each individual is necessary and important and is asked to live fully into their unique gifts and skills and abilities. But if we try to do it on our own, if we take that too far, then there is a grotesqueness that starts to come about us. We know from our own bodies that the damage that can be done when one organ or when one cell decides to go rogue. If we burn our tongue on a hot piece of pizza, 
that affects the experience of eating for the rest of the body and certainly for the soul. If we are experiencing digestion issues, then the whole body can be put out of commission. And we all know that it only takes one cell turning against the rest of the other cells to gain a cancer diagnosis. Our connectionalism is what makes our individuality meaningful. And when we as individuals act as though we are not connected with anyone else, the result will always have an outcome that looks just a little grotesque. For those of us who are Americans in this room, we might have a natural proclivity toward finding connections and to living out our individual dreams. But as Christians, all of us here are called to both commitments in equal stead and with intention. Because we are connected, it is important for us to fulfill what is unique to each individual. And because each of us is unique, we have to go out of our way in order to function as part of the whole. It's not something that happens without us intending to do it. If we are too uncareful about it, the balance will be thrown off. But maybe that's why this table is so important and significant to us. One of the many reasons. Because when we are invited to this table, we are invited not because of the individual gifts and skills that we have and we bring, we are invited because of the person that gathers us together in one body. Every single person is necessary here. If you do not show up to this table, there will be an empty seat that cannot be filled by anyone else. We know that, and we hope that you feel that sense of belonging here at San Marino Community Church. One of the things that I love about our scripture passage for today that we didn't emphasize today is it talks about how those part, the members of the body that are more weak, that are more delicate, they're the ones that need special attention. We know that that's true in our world as well, right? If you get a blister on your heel, you put a Band-Aid on it. You pay special attention to it. If you are coming into this room blistered or oozing or hurting, if you need some special attention, it's okay to expect to get it from here. So let's keep our eyes open as we come to this table. Let's bring all that we've got. Let's be able to pay attention to those who need more care. And if you don't need more care, let's watch out and share with one another. Friends, the table is set. Let us pray. God, we are so grateful that you have given us this moment to gather around these simple elements and be reminded of who you are creating us to be. It is mysterious to us how you can take bread and juice and transform them into a mysterious representation of your eternal kingdom. But that's what you do. And so we pray that you will do the same thing for us, that you will take us as ordinary people, as ordinary members of the body, 
as eyes and hands and hair and knees and feet and belly buttons, and that you will bring us together and make us into an extraordinary representation of your good news here on this earth. We pray that you will take everything out of our hands and that you will transform it and make it good and that we will experience the freedom of what it means to be connected and to know our worth because our connection is so essential. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.